I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So today we are headed into another series, but it, and it's a series that we've been going through for a little while, but we do it annually, and we are starting, restarting our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we do this every fall. Uh, this is our series in between summer, well, actually we do summer, and then we do our vision, and then we do this between now and Christmas. And so we'll be doing, doing this all the way through about Thanksgiving or so. And the Sermon on the Mount is just an awesome, awesome series, but what I would like to remind you to do or get you to do and encourage you to do, get into the Word. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 to 7. It really is that simple. It's Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And for you to really be able to learn, for you to really be able to understand what we're going to be going through, I can't, express, I can't encourage you enough. Get into the Word. We have these devotionals in the back. These are the Sermon on the Mount devotionals. Our staff writes devotionals for every day, and our pastors write the Bible studies at that are at the beginning of each, each week. Um, every single book that we do, every single sermon series we do, we have these books. These books are available in the lobby. These are $10 this time because it's a little bit thicker um, for us to publish this time. So it is $10 in the lobby, but you don't have to buy a book. If you want to go to our website, riverchurch.cc, um, and look at and click on the media tab, you can find the book there. You can read it on there. You can also sign up at the website to get these devotionals emailed to you every single day. So it shows up in your email inbox. <coughs> kind of a cool deal. Um, or you can go, you can even buy it on Kindle. Um, you can download the PDF. You can do all those things. So, and it's also in our app. I just want to make sure you know that. But I don't know about you. When I have devotionals, if I look at somebody else's devotional and say I go to this one. Um, now, these tend to have the scripture in each one. Like we don't just list it. But this is like all the scripture I'll read if I'm reading somebody else's words. Right? I'm not going to actually open the Bible sometimes and dig into it. At least that's me sometimes. I would encourage you, actually open the Bible and read the verses before and after some of the verses you find in here. Actually get into the Word. That's what I want to, I just want to remind you. Get into the Word. And don't just rely on the words of a person that's writing on our staff. Don't ever rely on the words of a person that's talking to you right now. Get into the Word. Get into the Word. Can I say it again? Get into the Word. It's so important. It's so important. Um, let this devotional direct you to God's word. Don't let this become God's word for you. Okay? Get into, get, get into God's word. That's what the whole idea is. Write down what questions you have. Awesome opportunities to do that. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. My voice is kind of all over the place today, so I may have to get some water. I apologize ahead of time. So the Sermon on the Mount, awesome, awesome message. Jesus' longest sermon recorded. Again, it's found in Matthew 5, chapters 5 to 7. It covers so many different topics. We've already covered a lot in the past. Um, one of the biggest issues facing the church today is who we live for and who we really represent. Do we live for ourselves or are we living for Jesus? If we represent him, how should we live that out? What does it look like to be a Jesus follower today? It's one of the biggest things. In fact, it's one of the reasons why so many people get upset with the church because we get focused on things that are not about Jesus. I said it a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again today. If people hate Jesus because of you, 
there's a problem. If people hate you because of Jesus, that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. Got to think about that. If people hate you because of the, of, of, of the message of Jesus you proclaim, well, that's, that's going to happen. But if people hate Jesus because of you, we probably missed the mark to a certain degree. We've got to love. We've got to know how to represent him. And so as we get into chapter 6, some of the questions we're going to be talking about is, what is life about? What should my life goals be? How do I pray? What is fasting? That'll be an interesting one. As many of us here... I know it talks about fasting in the Bible, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. We're going to be talking about what it means to fast. What do I do with money? What do I do with my anxiety? What's the right way to give? He addresses these in chapter 6. Jesus is preaching to the crowd that's in front of him, but he's also preaching to us. He's also preaching to us. But in order to really understand this sermon, at the beginning of each of these series, I will continually go back to the beginning of chapter 5 and remind us what Jesus said in a passage of scripture called the Beatitudes. This is the foundation of his entire message. And for me to just start off in chapter 6 and not at least remind us what the Beatitudes are all about, we wouldn't have the capacity or have the foundation of what Jesus is trying to say. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start out. Um, If you have your devices, that's great. Matthew chapter 5 again. It's on the screen behind me, but I think there's something about looking it up yourself and not just relying upon what's on a screen. Um, We do that for convenience, but it's important. Again, we want to be in the Word. So if you have your device, if you don't have a Bible app on your device, you can download the River Church app. That'll give you all of our events. It'll give you all of our... um, all kinds of stuff. Let's just sign up for all kinds of stuff. It also gives you a Bible in that app too. So just want to make sure you're aware of that. Also, it just occurred to me that I dug right into the message. And for those of you that are guests this morning, you have no idea why there's this guy talking to you who just played the guitar and is now standing here speaking to you. My name is Josh Yates. I am the location pastor here at the River Church Lake Orion. Typically, I do not play the guitar and, and, and wear many hats um, on the stage because our uh, gathering director uh, is Cam... Aldrich is typically here, but he is on vacation today, so be praying for them as they're on vacation. They need some rest and some time with family, so I'm glad they're able to get away and do that, um, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to step in. Um, you'll see me up here next week, too, because next Sunday is the ladies' retreat, and so a lot of our band is not going to be here, so Cam and I are tag-teaming next Sunday. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. So uh, anyway, just want to make sure you at least know why I'm up here talking to you this morning. Um, but we got to talk about these Beatitudes. Um, the Beatitudes use the word blessed all the time in it. And it, it's, it's before each description of why we live the way we do or what's going to happen to somebody um, if they live that way. They're blessed. Um, so what does the word blessed mean? It means ultimately good things. When we think of the word blessed, I'm so blessed. We think that it's good things, right? It's good things that are happening in our life. God has given us something we want, something good. And that's not necessarily wrong, what Jesus is saying here. The word can be translated as happy. Happy are the people that are living this way. And that's also not necessarily wrong. But the word here has the connotation of being somebody that's approved. Somebody that God approves. Approved by God. And when you think about it, how many many places in our lives do we look for blessing? Do we look for happiness? Do we look for approval? Do we look for acceptance in our lives? What does the world say is the way to look for these things? The first thing Jesus is telling us, uh, where you can obtain happiness, approval, is not where you should be looking. So many times we look to the world around us 
to find happiness, to find blessing, to find approval. We want the approval of everything around us. And Jesus is saying right off the bat by using this word blessed, approved by God, is that it's about approval from God. That's what this is all about. That's what living for Jesus is all about. It's, it's something totally different. And these beatitudes build on one another. So for, uh, 5 verse 3 first. I'll start in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the poor in spirit, that seems like somebody that wouldn't be happy. That seems like somebody that, why would the poor in spirit be approved? But he's saying that they're happy. It's saying that the poor in spirit, what? They have the kingdom of heaven. Now, so what is this idea of the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are people that know that they have no hope of heaven apart from Jesus Christ. They are poor in their spirit. They know that they are desperate for God to intervene. There's no hope of heaven on their own. They've come to know that their only hope is in Jesus. Brendan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, spent most of his life as a priest before the light of the kingdom dawned on him. He suggested that the poorest spirit are like survivors on a shipwreck. Out at sea, all the things they used to rely on, past achievements, accumulated treasures, titles, and degrees... They don't matter anymore. Think about it. If you're on a plank in the middle of the ocean after a shipwreck, what do you care about? Getting to shore. shore. Maybe not forgetting Jack from Titanic as well if you're in the middle of a shipwreck. I don't know. But all that matters is that plank. It's all that matters. It's all that matters. And when you get back to shore, all of a sudden your perspective has changed. I mean, ultimately, we can't take seriously the demands on the world that, that they make on that it makes on us when we realize that Jesus is the only thing we need. See, we have to understand, <coughs> the poor in spirit person realizes that that person has been shipwrecked. Their life has been shipwrecked. And the only salvation available is Jesus. It's that desperate. You're in the middle of an ocean of sin that leads to death. And the one who is poor in spirit knows that the only thing that you have is Jesus, and that is who you cling to, like you would a plank in the middle of the ocean if you were in the middle of a shipwreck. That is what the person that is poor in spirit does. They cling to Jesus because he is the only hope. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Then he goes on in verse 4 and says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Wow. Jesus, we went with poor in spirit, and now now we're to mourn. Now we're saying that these people are accepted. Now we got to mourn. Yeah, because people who are poor in spirit, when they understand uh, where they actually stand with God, they're going to mourn over their sin. They're going to mourn over what they've done. They're going to mourn over the fact of what they've done to offend God. Those that have no hope and in and of themselves, they know that they bring nothing to the table, they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn over their sin. They're going to mourn over other people's sin. It's a spiritual mourning. And this is a mourning that's very different from the world. It's very different from what the, what, what the world would say. Everything around us gets us, tries to get us to get our attention off of anything bad or tough in our lives and to placate us and have us to find hope in places, people, things. Whatever it takes to turn your back on your troubles, that's what you try to do. That's what the world tries to get us to do. Buy more things, get better things, earn more money, bigger house, better car, better career, all those things. So you can enjoy it and have your life pointed at pleasure, not considering anything that you might have to actually mourn over in your life. Then Jesus comes and says, no, the person that's truly happy, this person that's truly approved by God, is the person that mourns. The person that will truly take a look at who they are, what they've done, 
and understand that in front of Jesus, we've missed the mark. And so we mourn over our sin. And then he goes on, he builds more. He says in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oftentimes we hear this word meek, and you've probably heard me say it before. If you were in this series, um, you would have heard me say it. But the reality is meek does not mean weak. We think that meek people are just, you know, they're quiet. They, they're kind of, they, they reserve. They don't really do much. No, meekness is not weakness. In fact, meekness is fully compatible with absolute great strength. I mean, Jesus was classified as meek. Do you think he was weak? Don't think so. Jesus was not weak at all. See, the person that's poor in spirit understands that apart from God, they have no hope. And so then they mourn. That causes them to be meek because, look, there's, not, there, there's no more pride here. I know what I've been saved from, so now I'm meek. This person, once they understand the depth that they've done, that they've been separated from God, they've found hope at the foot of the cross, and now they've become a relationship with the Lord, and they understand they're standing before him. And now the lens turns to relationship with other people. Now they're meek to other people because they know what they've been forgiven of, and so they are meek. They, are, they love other people well. If this is a place of deep trust in God, a person that's approved by God that's happy. There's no more harshness. You don't grasp for any kind of wealth or, or health. You know that all of that's, anything that you have is from God anyway, and none of that actually matters. It's just him. That's what meekness is. And the meek inherit the earth. When you trust God fully, you don't lack anything. Think about that. When you trust God fully, you don't lack anything. We've got to remember that as we think about being meek. And then he moves on to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. This hunger and thirst, it's a deep longing. It's a deep longing for righteousness. But it's the righteousness of God. It's looking like him. It's not making you look better because you want to look good for other people. We're, Jesus is going to talk about that today specifically. But this righteousness is given by God, and it's a foundation of any righteousness that we may ever live out. The only good in any of us as Jesus followers is from Jesus. It's from him. If we start thinking that we're, we're, good, we're a good person and we just do good things, look out. Because that's a point of weakness for us because now we're prideful in ourselves. And these people will be filled. The person that passionately desires Jesus, that passion, desire, it, it builds a desire in you to live a life that Jesus calls you and I too. And when you desire that, you know what God says he'll do? He'll satisfy you. He'll satisfy you. There's a new song out by Shane and Shane. I think it's called Psalm 91 or something like that. Huh? 90, Psalm 90. And it, the, the title of it in parentheses is Satisfy Us. And the heart cry of the song says, Oh God, satisfy us before the day begins and we forget how great you are. Wow. To be satisfied in the Lord before we get out of the house and we forget how awesome he is with all the other cool stuff we do or see or want in that day. It says, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to be satisfied. Then he goes on, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is so hard to give to other people because we want to get our pound of flesh. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so we, if we show mercy to others, guess what? They can punch you in the face and you don't punch them back, even though they probably deserve it. Because you didn't get what you deserve. See, this person who is poor in spirit, who mourns, who are meek and hungers and thirsts for righteousness, all of a sudden they're like, 
<clears throat> look at all this mercy I've been given. I have to give that mercy too. How could I ever hold anything against anybody else when I know what I've been forgiven of? That's why we show mercy. It speaks to action. The merciful know they've been forgiven, and so they show mercy, and they'll receive mercy. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's a purity that only comes from heart. This uh, comes from God. It's a purity that only comes from God. But the reality is this. This purity is actually more of a oneness of heart toward God. It's not like the being all clean and pure, even though that's what God does for us. But when it's about this idea of purity that Jesus is talking about, it's a laser focus on him. It's a, it's a laser focus on going after him. And think about it. If you put that kind of a focus on God, what are you going to do? You're going to see him. You're going to see him. That's a promise that, that Jesus has given us. You see him work. How many times? We all know, all know God is working, but we don't see him working because oftentimes we're not focused on him. He's been working all along, and we don't see it because we're not looking for it. We don't see it because we're not connected to him. We're not, we don't see it because we're not in the word. We don't see it because we're not in prayer. We don't see it because we just aren't expecting him to work. Now, it's not like I can stand there and go, in the name of Jesus, give me this thing, or in the name of Jesus, heal this person. We don't have that kind of power. It's by the will of God. But the reality is God is always working for our good and his glory. And if we would open our eyes to it, we would see it. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are focused on him. Then he goes on again and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This idea of peace is shalom, making everything right, making everything complete. It's interesting that both the greeting and the goodbye for Jewish people is shalom. Hello and goodbye, shalom, peace. May completeness be upon you. It's, It's security in both the physical and the spiritual parts of life. Not only for the individual person, but for everybody around you. But the reality of peace, it's one of these interesting things. We all say, we want peace, we want peace, we want peace. How do you get peace? You have to fight for it. It almost sounds counterintuitive, but we have to fight for peace. We have to fight to get there. Now, I'm not talking about wars necessarily, though that's, that's, that bears out in history. You know what you have to fight the most to have peace in your life? your own flesh. We've got to fight ourselves, our attitudes. I'll tell you what, I was studying for this message this week, and I know this is the, this is the uh, recap portion. And so this is, you know, God hit me here too. But man, when I studied for the portion that we're getting into chapter six, God hit me right between the eyes. I was in here studying going, wow, that's good, that's good. Oh, I mean, seriously, I had a, yesterday I was sitting, and it just hit, it stopped me in my tracks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to work on this too, man. Because, man, if we're going to be a peacemaker, we've got to go after God. We've got to have that focus on him. But in order to do that, man, we have to fight ourselves. Because quite honestly, when somebody upsets me or doesn't do what I expect them to, I don't like it. And I bet you don't either. Sometimes I don't like that person. And I want to give him a good big, good big piece of my mind. How are we going to be a peacemaker in that? Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And we'll be called the sons and daughters of God. We'll be called the children of God. 
And then he says, he changes a little bit here. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Persecuted for Jesus' sake, living for him. Trouble because you have a target on your back, because the enemy knows your name, because you are taking back ground for the kingdom of God. Because you are all of these things here. See, Jesus is using this passage, the beginning of this message, to define what it means to look like him. That's what he's telling us right now. He's telling us how to look like him. We have to start by being poor in spirit. We've got to understand that we're a sinner, that we need grace, that we need him. We've got we to then, we, we mourn over our sin. And then, we are, then because of that mourning, we become weak. And then <coughs> once we're meek, we, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then he fills us. And because we have that righteousness, then we can show mercy. And when we show mercy, then we're pure in heart because we're focusing on him. We're pure in heart. We are a peacemaker because that's how God works. He brings peace into situations. He brings completeness and shalom. We fight for that peace. But when this happens, we have to know that we will be persecuted too. That's what Jesus is saying about this. This is how you look like him. It's how you look like him. And your reward is in heaven. We talked about this a little bit in Revelation, but man, what's it going to be like when you take that first breath of heavenly air? Man. We go after so many things on this earth, myself included, that are so trivial compared to the greatness of the reward of seeing Jesus face to face will be. And so this is the backdrop of everything in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. We spent some more time in chapter 5 this last 2022 in the fall. And I do want you to know that if you want to go back, um, the fall 22 messages are on our website. Um, if you want to go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount in fall of 2022, covered a lot of topics there. And so you can go back and listen to all eight of our locations then. Um, we have nine now. Um, but that is all available on the website if you want to go back and take a look at those. Because um, Jesus continually builds. And so now that we at least have that foundation, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is where we're going to plant for most of the rest of the time this morning. We're digging into the motivation behind what we do. And it's such a huge question. And we're going to ask it again at the end. But this is the question we want to answer today. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Sometimes it's to protect yourself or to protect those that you love. You know, somebody comes after me. Okay, I may take the hit. You come after my wife or kids, you're going to get a very big Pastor Josh right in the middle of you. Don't come at my family. Sometimes it's to make money and provide for your family. Or sometimes it's to make a lot of money so that you can have all the things that you want on this earth. Depends. Sometimes it's a, you do what you do because you want to meet a desire or a need that you have. Sometimes you do what you do because you just want to. But let's be really honest. If we can be really honest with ourselves this morning. The majority of the time, the reason behind why we do what we do, it's for selfish reasons. Let's be honest. 
I mean, man, I get upset at people because I feel like I've been slighted or someone in my family has been slighted. But let's be honest. Even when somebody slights our family or, like, talks bad about one of our kids, is it really a motivation that I'm upset because they hurt my kid? Or is there a part of me that's upset because it reflects bad on me? If we're really honest, like brutally honest, we're always, always selfish people. Because we're fighting with ourselves. That's why Jesus started with the Beatitudes. That's why Jesus started there. We love accolades. We like pats on the back. We like the impression that our goodness, our service makes for us. Why do you think we post on social media as much as we do? I get, there's a few of you in here, every time I say that, you go, well, I don't post on social media. Okay, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for you. That's great. But I guarantee we all struggle with this. We want the likes. If you post a real cute picture of your kid or this fun thing that you did and you have two likes, what do you feel like? Well, that stinks. Nobody even cares. Because we want the accolades. We want that. That's why social media has blown up. Because we want people to see how good we let people see we are. Right? It's what we want people to see, not what actually is there. You know, I read a little bit about Saddam Hussein, actually, very interestingly, this week in my study. He was apparently a very religious man, surprisingly enough. During his 24 years of dictatorship in Iraq, he brought about many religious advances in Iraq. He built, for example, the largest mosque in the region, which, was supposedly, which supposedly contained a copy of the Quran written in his own blood. During his reign, he also added an inscription in his own hand on the Iraqi flag, Alu Akbar, which is God is great. Shortly after Saddam's death, a British journalist, Christopher Hitchens, wrote a book using this Iraqi motto, sarcastically for his title, he said, God is not great. In that book, which is critical of both Christianity and Islam, Hitchens argues how religion poisons everything, as his less than subtle title says. His hatred for religion comes from his intellectual convictions. He is an atheist, Darwinist, and a materialist. But also from his experience as a journalist in which he saw firsthand so much religious hypocrisy. For example, he writes about his visit to Iran, which is like Iraq, in, which like Iraq is, is, is an Islamic nation, and thus stringently upholds the teachings of the Quran. Therefore, premarital intercourse and prostitution are outlawed. However, what happens is that the mullahs, the Islamic religious leaders, Profit monetarily by licensing something they call temporary marriages. That is, a man comes to the mullah, often in a specific, especially designated house, receives, receives a temporary marriage license to be the temporary husband of a girl he has never met. Then he can have a temporary union with her and just a few minutes later conveniently and lawfully receive a permanent divorce declaration. Some might call this legalized prostitution. Hitchens writes about how he was offered such a bargain of all places outside the shrines of the Ayatollah Khomeini in southern Tehran. Now, this is an example of obscene hypocrisy. And I got to tell you this morning, Jesus attacks hypocrisy full on 
in chapter 6. Because now he's coming at that in this sermon at a place that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place, by the way. It would be really cool to be sitting on that hillside hearing Jesus speak. Let's hear how he starts this. 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So practicing your righteousness. What in the world does this mean? Practicing your righteousness. Now Jesus had a, had a continual and even adversarial relationship with the Jewish leaders of the day called the Pharisees. He had a very contentious relationship with them. They were known for adding to God's law in the Old Testament. When, we, when Gene and I were able to be in Israel in 2019, we learned a little bit about this. So the, the, the rabbis of Jesus' day, and even today, you have God's law. And say God's law, I, I've said this before, you can, you've heard the story, but it's the best illustration I've got. So, um, like, you're not supposed to eat pork. You're not supposed to eat pig because it doesn't have the right hoof. And I can't remember if it's supposed to be cloven or not, and, but that doesn't really matter. They're not supposed to eat pigs, right? And so they would be like, okay, you can't eat pigs, but we want to make sure that we don't ever make God mad. So you can't eat pigs. You can't be around pigs. You can't be in a city that has pigs. You can't be in a city, you know, kind of, they put all these fences all the way around it to where you can't even look at a pig. I mean, it's kind of, that's kind of how it works, right? But in fact, before, before long, they actually made a law that said you, a pig cannot be on the land of Israel. And so there were these Russian Jews that ended up moving to Israel in the, in the, like the 40s, 50s, 60s, when, the, when everybody, all the Jews came back to Israel. And they thought about it and they went, huh, well, we had pigs in, in Russia, not a big deal, and we kind of tweaked it to match what we wanted. And so how do we move back to Israel and have pigs still? And they thought about it, they thought about it, they thought about it. And as we were in Israel in 2019, we saw herds of pigs that were kept on wooden pallets above the land of Israel. They weren't actually on the dirt. They were on the pallets. Hypocrisy or not? Right? But these rabbis would add and add and add and add and add. That's why Jesus threw over the money changers in the temple. Because they added laws for their own personal gain. That's why Jesus was continually at war in some ways with the Pharisees because the Pharisees were risking losing their money tree and their power because Jesus was, taking them out, was, was, was confronting them with all this. In fact, Jesus had just called out the Pharisees for being hypocrites just a few passages earlier, a few minutes earlier in this message. In Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he spends time in Matthew 23, a few pages over, completely stating the case against these Pharisees. I'm going to turn there because I want us to see it. It'll be on the screen. It's verses 1 to 7. I want to read it. It says this, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move with them with their finger. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. In other words, they make their robes huge so everybody knows who they are. When they walk on the street, everybody goes, ooh, it's a Pharisee. Right? That's, that's what they're doing. They said, you know, it says to bind, in Deuteronomy it says to bind the word of God on your forehead. You know, they made, the Pharisees were actually so like, I don't know, they were something. They put boxes on their forehead with little scrolls in it to bind it to their forehead. Are you serious? Jesus is saying, hide the word in your heart. Just go over to Psalms, guys. Figure it out. But that's what they do. Why? Because they wanted to look good. Verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Verse 6. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the seats in the synagogues and greet and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. That is what the religious leaders were all about. I'm coming to somebody's house, I will gladly take the head of the table because I am a Pharisee. That's what they did. And so Jesus is always coming at the Pharisees. But let me tell you, Pharisees today would stand around and pray as loud as they could. They declare how great they are and how glad they are that they don't live in San Francisco or in California and talk about how deplorable, sinful, and wretched they are there while not recognizing the own sin in our own lives or the cross that we so desperately need. They'd be completely political and declare how sinful it is to be a part of the opposite party that they identify with. My friends, there is a Pharisee in every single one of us. A hypocrite dwells in every single one of our hearts because the biggest thing we all struggle with is putting ourselves first and even recognizing when we do it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying that when you put your faith to practice, when you serve me, do it for me, not to be seen by others. Do it because what you've been saved from. Do it because Jesus is worthy of everything you have and he's worthy of all the glory and he's worthy of all of your life. Psalm 115.1 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, but to his name be the glory. But notice that Jesus says something extra here. He says that when we do it for him, what does he say? We can anticipate the reward that the Father will give us. We can anticipate that the Father will reward us with him. He will give us himself. He will sustain us. He will strengthen us. But here's the thing. If we have any other motive for why we do what we do, that reward is not offered to us. Want to know why we sometimes don't have the strength to accomplish what we want to accomplish? Because we are not even considering what God wants for our lives. We don't get his strength. We don't get his help when we don't live for him. And this isn't like, hey God, I'm going to go this way. Can you please bless what I want to do? All right? That's not what it is. It's not just saying, God... This is what I want to do, but I'm going to lay it at your feet. Show me what you want. Now, sometimes, that's a scary thing, because sometimes he may take that dream and away for a period of time. Why? So that you would learn how to be pure in heart. 
so that you learn how to be meek, so that you learn how to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So you see what I mean? Someday he may give that dream back to you in a shape that you never thought it would be. Or he's going to give you a dream that you never thought you would ever do. And it is the most fulfilling thing you've ever done because it's how he made you. That's the kind of father we have. But if you decide to try to have God on your agenda, his strength, his reward is not offered to you. Because we're going to hear it again as we move on. Verses 2 to 4. Thus, when you give to the needy, and needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. That's this little, like the Pharisees. I mean, that's pretty much what Jesus is saying. Like the hypocrites do in the synagogues. He's calling out the Pharisees again. All right? That they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So now he's talking about almsgiving in Jesus' day. It was something that was continually commanded in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Giving to the poor. And the Pharisees, rightly, had made almsgiving a pillar of religious life. Jewish religious life. In fact, it was seen as a replacement or a substitute of the sacrifices in the temple once the, during the times that the temple was destroyed. Giving to the poor took the places of sacrifices that when the temple had been destroyed. So when people went to temple, they put money in one of two places. The money chest, which is also called the shofar chest, where the poor were supported regularly once a week with goods and clothing. And the plate, where a needy person could obtain a daily portion of food. So that's what people gave to when they came to temple. And of course, the Pharisees came up with rules for how to handle this. A person that had food for two meals could not take place, could not take anything from the plate for your daily portion. If you had two meals, you couldn't take anything. Whoever had 14 meals couldn't take anything from the shofar chest, the money chest. Those were the rules. And then they told people that giving to the poor would save a man from death. They told them that it would save them from sin. So why give? To pay for your sin. That's what it came down to. You, can you imagine why Jesus was so upset in the temple? So it was easy for a rich man to enter heaven because all he had to do was pay God off. kind of bring some text or some context to Jesus saying it's hard actually hard for a rich man to enter into heaven he's coming back and saying no you can't just buy your way you cannot buy your way out of your sin and then he talks about blowing a trumpet how about blowing your own horn tooting your own horn we talk about that that's a phrase we have in our society this could be the call to the temple by by trumpets that that happened um what an easy way to show people how big your money bags are as, the ch- as you're going to the temple. Look at my money bag. Yeah. This is right here. It's going to the shofar chest. Yeah. And getting to the shofar chest, you're like, how high do I have to drop this so it makes enough of a sound so people know how big of a thump it is? Right? Now, personally, I kind of love the way we do Giving now is like, I know some people are like, I don't want to give online. It's so frustrating. But I love the fact that nobody really knows anymore. Nobody knows how much you're giving. And there's no like actual, you know, thumping or how much um, 
change you're putting in the plate. However, I got to say, I do love it when a kid gives, right? And they brought their piggy bank and you hear it empty out in that old church, you know, metal plates we used to have. We had gold ones here. They weren't even silver. They were gold with red velvet interior, you know? Um, but uh, I, do, I do enjoy that. But man, sometimes we can give so, and, and, and we want people to know about it. Um, but Jesus is saying, don't do this. It's not about being praised by others. It's about the poor. It's about your heart. It's about your motive. Because if you receive praise from others, then that's your motivation. You got your reward. That's it. That's all you're going to get. You're not going to get strength. You're not going to get help. That's what the hypocrites do. That's what the Pharisees do. But when you give, do it in secret. Just do it. It's about motive. It's not that you can't give publicly, but that's the mode, not the motive. It's not that you don't give publicly. Sometimes you do. Sometimes, you know, it depends on the situation. You get, you know, but that's not your motive. Your motive is to give to him. And he says, so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. That's an interesting thing. It's kind of an absurdity Jesus is talking about. Because the reality is, your left hand and your right hand should always know what they're doing. I mean, that's what should happen in a golf swing. Maybe that's why my golf swing's terrible. My left hand doesn't know what my right hand's doing. But the reality is, he's saying, look, the left hand doesn't know what your right hand's going to do. In other words... Do it in secret. Do it so much that it's not known by people. Consider the people in Matthew 25, 35 to 40. Where Jesus is talking, he says this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of of these my brothers, you did it to me. See, they didn't really realize what they were doing. They were simply living their life as to the Lord. That's what Jesus is talking about here. My friends, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons and miss out on the reward that God the Father has for you. If you give or serve for the acclaim and honor of people, you will grow in self-righteousness and look more and more like yourself. But if you serve and give for Jesus, you will go and hit, grow in his righteousness and you will look more and more like him. So why do you do what you do? What is your motive? Why do you do it? Because people in life will say thank you. They will say how great of a person you are at times. But what is your response? Do you actually believe them? Do you revel in it or do you seek to give God the glory and not steal it from him, realizing that it's only because of him that you are becoming who you're becoming? Do you give so that you can build your platform, to build a brand, to build your kingdom, using your, using Jesus' name for your fame? Guys, this is something we have to be really, really honest with ourselves with. Let's get really serious. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Why do you go to a growth community? I certainly hope it's not to impress, I don't know, people around you. Hope it's not to impress a pastor or a staff or whatever. I hope it's because you want to go after Jesus. Because if it's for any other reason than that, you're getting your reward when somebody says thank you. 
Because if we do it that way, we're Pharisees. God says in Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God doesn't share his glory with you or anybody else. He alone is worthy. He is alone, he is alone is worthy of everything we can give him. He's worthy of our lives. <coughs> and we'll be rewarded by the Father as a follower of Jesus as we go after him. One of the reasons why, I mean... I struggle with, do we post pictures of things like trunk or treat on social media? Do we do, we do what, I mean, we want to encourage the church and say thank you for what we're doing, but what's our, I mean, our motives, I believe, are pure when we post those things, but man, there's times I just go, are we telling everybody how good we are? I, I don't know. I, I mean, and, and anybody who does ministry does it. We post pictures because we're excited about what happened and whatnot, and maybe, the bottom line is this, we have to keep our motives pure. That's what we have to do. But how do you know if you're doing things for yourself other than Jesus? And this is what got me. Grumbling when your actions aren't noticed or congratulated. When you don't get a thank you or a thank you note and you complain about it. Envy or jealousy when others get recognition and you don't. Irritation or even volatile emotions when you don't get your wishes how the church does something because you've given a lot of money to this church. Why do you do what you do? What's your real motivation behind what you do what you do? Let's hear what Jesus is doing this morning. He's given us a motive check. He's checking our motives today. I want to finish with a quote by R. Kent Hughes. It's great. He says, men who do works so they will be seen by men receive the applause of men. Those who do works for God's glory receive God's smile. The reward for the latter is overwhelming and it always will be. Why do you do what you do? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, the, how you spoke to us so pointedly about who you are, about who we are, who you're calling us to be, and how we can truly serve you. God, I pray that you'd help us to check our motives. I pray that you'd help us to see where we need to grow as followers of yours. That, Jesus, we would desire you more, that we would put you first, and that we would do things for your glory and not our own. God, we are selfish people. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to to live for your glory. To not be like a Pharisee, but to desire you above all else. Help us to care for the poor the way we should, and help us to put your glory first in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.